Well, good morning. It feels like the last three or four Sundays have all been beautiful, haven't they? Every day. Uh, it's great to be back in God's house. Uh, last week, we talked about church unity and um, how, that, how that plays a role for us, not only in the local church, but also in the global church, in, in the body of Christ. Uh, I want to recap a little bit about what we talked about last week, because I think it's a good lead-in uh, for today's message. So, uh, last week we took a long look at what Paul had to tell the church of Ephesus about unity. Uh, he told us that there were three attributes we should see in a Christian's walk. The first was lowliness, or, or, or humility. The next was gentleness or meekness. Remember, we talked about meekness was not, did not mean being weak. It meant being in, under control of your emotions. Uh, the third was long-suffering or being patient. And we talked about how these attributes play a pivotal role in the church, especially when it comes to unity. Now, when we don't have the unity in the church or in our homes, or in our families, we leave the door open for Satan to come in and destroy, because that's what he does. Um, and everyone in the church, whether you feel it or not, or whether you um, can sense it, you play a role in keeping that unity. So then Paul talked about seven principles that should unite all Christians regardless of denomination. Remember all the ones that I said? One this, one. Uh, we believe in one body, which was the body of Christ. Uh, we have one spirit. This is the Holy Spirit that dwells in every believer. One hope of your calling, which is being called home when, Jesus, when Christ returns. One Lord, this is Jesus. He is our Lord and Savior. One faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 told us, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I'm going to come back to the sixth one because that's what's, what's going to drive uh, the message this morning. But the seventh one was one God. And then we have the four alls that we talked about. Father of all refers to all believers. Above all means his authority over us. Through all means he's working through each one of us. And in all means he dwells in all believers. But this brings us back to the sixth one, which is one baptism. This being baptized in the Spirit. Mark 1.8, um, this is John the Baptist speaking. He says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells his disciples in Acts 1, verse 5, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then the very next chapter, what do we have? Pentecost. So, it's being, it's, he's talking about uh, receiving the Holy Spirit in baptism once we believe. And because Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is so important to unity in the church, both local church and the body of Christ, 
it's important that we're able to recognize the Spirit. And the Spirit is a person, right? We, we, I, I hear some people say, what is this Holy Spirit? It's not what, it's a who. He's part of the Trinity. So, if you would turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, we're going to be starting in verse 1. We're just going to do the first 10 verses here. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. And once you've found it, if you're physically able, we ask you to please stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts 3, verses 1 through 10. Verse 1 reads, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for bringing us together again in your house. Just thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity to, to come and, and hear your word. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to, to live your word out, Lord. We just pray that you will be with us today and, and open our hearts and our minds to your word. Lord, write on our, our hearts your word so that we could take it with us as we go. Lord, we just pray that you will be with us and, and, and really just let us feel your spirit today, Lord. Speak to us as your servants are listening. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So what's happening here? This is after Pentecost, and Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray. Now, there are three times in the day that uh, devout Jewish people would go to the temple. They would go at 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 3 p.m. But we see here, it says, in the ninth hour. But he's going at, the time that he's going is the 3, 3 p.m. Uh, prayer hour. So why do they call it the ninth hour? Well, their day started at 6 a.m. So at 6 a.m., the, the third hour would have been 9 o'clock. The sixth hour would be 12 o'clock. And the ninth hour is where we are now at 3 p.m. when they're going to, to the uh, temple to pray. Now, that might seem strange to us that these believers in Christ would still be going to the temple 
to pray. But we need to remember that the, the, these uh, Jewish Christians held on to many of their Jewish beliefs. It wasn't, they didn't just one day start uh, uh, a church like we have here. They held on to a lot of the Jewish traditions that they had, um, including going to the temple to pray. It was, it, what didn't happen overnight, it was a, a, a gradual, gradual thing. So, as they were going, they see a man that had been crippled from birth. It doesn't tell us how old he is here, but in Acts chapter 4, we're told that he's over 40 years of age. So, because he's too old to be on his insurance, his parents' insurance anymore, he gets dropped off at the temple to ask for money. Now, the gate that they bring him to is called Beautiful. It's not just a beautiful gate. That's the actual name of it. And it was made of bronze. And I'm sure that at this time of day when the sun beat down on it, it glistened like gold. I'm sure it was a beautiful gate. It wasn't like an ugly, you know, rickety gate that they just ironically called beautiful. It wasn't like, you know, you call like a fat guy tiny. It wasn't like that. It was an actual beautiful gate. And this is where they would drop him off each day to ask for alms, which was money. And what a contrast that is. You, you have this beautiful gate that, that, that it opens up into the, the temple where the people are going to pray. It, it, it must have been magnificent looking. And here you have, in contrast, a man who's just broken and crippled, can't stand. And, and, and people just walk him there and lay him outside of this gate. So he sees Peter and John about to go into the temple, and he asks them for some money. And after he asked them for some money, he must, have, he must have looked down, right? Because what we see is Peter tells the man to look at us. Look at me and John. So he must have asked for the money and looked away. Now, the Bible doesn't say why he would have looked away. Maybe he was embarrassed asking for money. Uh, maybe he was used to being rejected and just figured they wouldn't give him anything anyway. Or maybe it was because he was so used to not being seen that he didn't see the point in looking at them. We see beggars all the time, right? We, we, we pull up to stoplights and, and they'll, they'll stand there with a sign. But what do we do? When you see him a quarter mile down the road and you're coming up to that stoplight, what are you saying to yourself? Oh, please stay green. Don't turn red on me because I'm going to have to sit right next to him. Right? Or, or, or when, you, when you do get up to the stoplight and he's standing there with his sign, what do we do? We try not to make eye contact, right? We get on our phones. Oh, I've got to figure out where I'm going. Or we talk to the person next to us. Whatever it is not to even identify that person. And I'm thinking that's probably how this man felt. People just walk right by him to go into this beautiful temple and just ignore him, not even look at him, try to avoid eye contact. That's not what Peter does. After Peter gets his attention, he tells him he doesn't have any money. Now, this must have been very disappointing for the man because the man asked him for money. 
Peter says, look at me. He's probably thinking, okay, he's about to give me, give me something. But Peter tells him, well, I don't have any money. That's like me rolling down the window at the stoplight just to tell the guy as he runs over to my vehicle, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have any money for you. You wouldn't do that, right? So the story, I, I, I actually did this one time. I, I was at a gas station. And I had, I had a, a gentleman that was um, walking from pump to pump asking people for money. And he came to me as I'm pumping, and, and, and I, I don't typically carry cash on me. So I, I told him, I, I said, I'm sorry, I, I don't have any cash. I, if I did, I would give you some cash. I, I really would. And he just walked away kind of looking dejected, like almost angry at me. So... Um, some of my students uh, in, in a club that I, I had made at the school, we put together what we call blessing bags. We, we put together uh, three dozen of them, and we dropped them off at a, at a homeless shelter. And inside them, they had socks, they had um, uh, pads and paper, they had chapstick, deodorant, soap, toothbrush, tooth, everything that uh, we read about and studied about that, that homeless people were asking for, that, that were most needed. And we put them in gallon Ziploc bags, and we dropped them off at the homeless shelter. Well, I had a few left over in the, in the back of my car. So I remember that, and he had gone down and sit over by the gas station. So I get in the back seat, and I pull one out, and I walk over to him. I say, hey, man, I, I, real, I apologize. I, I don't have any money. I don't carry money on me, but I have this. He wouldn't even look at me. He wouldn't look up. And I think oftentimes we get so, no matter how much you have, people fall in love with the world. It, even if you have very little, people fall in love with money. That, that, that's what they want. It, it, it's, it's a worldly thing. And I think this man it fell into that category. He wasn't interested in anything but money. So I laid the bag down next to him. He didn't say thank you. He didn't make eye contact. I probably should have said, sir, look at me, like uh, Peter did here. You might, I might have got a different response. But Peter says, I don't have any money, but I'll give you what I do have. And what did he have? He had the healing power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus is the important part of this uh, statement. We, this is how we often end our prayers. That's how I just ended my prayer a moment ago, was in Jesus' name. But what does that really mean? What does in Jesus' name really mean? It means three things. First, it means according to his will. In Jesus' name means according to his will. If it's not part of his will, I don't want it. I may be praying for it, I may be asking for it, it may be something that I want, but if it's not part of Jesus' will, it's not anything that I want. The second is by his power and authority. It's nothing I can do. When I pray, I'm asking him because it's only something he can do. It's not something I can do. So it's according to his will, it's by his power and authority, and the third one is it's, it's for his glory. You'll notice once the man was healed, he'll end up jumping up. He doesn't start praising Peter. 
He doesn't start praising John. He's praising God because it's for God's glory. So when you pray and you say, in the name of Jesus, you're saying it's because you, it's according to his will, it's by the power and authority that he possesses, and it's for his glory. Now Peter reaches down and lifted him up, and his ankles and feet became strong, and he started walking and leaping. It didn't take him any time to figure it out. This is almost like a second miracle. You know, it's not, it's not like Emma, who has to hold on to everything as she's learning. He's never walked before in his life. He knows how to do it like that. It's like a second miracle. So the man goes into the temple, praising God, and the people recognize him as the crippled man they had walked by and walked past for who knows how long. I like to picture this man running into the temple and leaping and, and just shouting and praising God. And I picture all these very kind of uptight, legalistic uh, uh, Jewish people that are there praying very quietly and solemnly as he comes in with the spirit. Right. He comes in just shouting and praising God. Now, you might be thinking that, that that's great scripture. That, that, that's a great story in the Bible, but it doesn't mention the Holy Spirit at all. In fact, you won't find the Holy Spirit mentioned in any of chapter 3 of Acts. But let's take a look at three areas that the Holy Spirit makes himself seen in the text. The first is togetherness. We talked a little bit about this last week, how the, the Holy Spirit unifies us. Right? The Holy Spirit is one. There's not a million different Holy Spirits. There's one Holy Spirit, and we, He dwells in each of us believers. And that's what brings us together. Peter and John were very different people. Uh, but they both had the Spirit, and it brings them together. John was very quiet and reserved. He liked, he liked to wait. And just observe what was going on around him. He sticks with Jesus during Jesus' dark times. And he was called Jesus' beloved. Peter was a lot different. Peter, he wasn't as close to Jesus as John was. He was slower to believe and understand what was happening. He was very impulsive. He spoke his mind oftentimes before thinking. He denied Jesus. Remember, we talked about him denying Jesus three times. And he was called Jesus' rock. So you see the contrast between the two. And I would imagine if you were in that circle, in, in that group of disciples with Jesus, that there was a little bit of I hate saying competition, but you want to be close to Jesus. You, you want Jesus's, um, uh, you want him to look at you in a positive light, right? And I would think that would create a little bit of, of, of tension between the two. One's called his beloved, the other's called his rock. One stays with him through good times, one of them runs off. One of them is very outspoken and wants to spread the word. One is very reserved and observant. 
But they both have the Holy Spirit. And this is what brings them together. I saw them described, I, I saw them described this way. John is the perspective, or perceptive witness, while Peter is the active disciple. So they're different. And you, you can imagine that certain times would have caused a little bit of strife. But have you ever tried being angry at somebody that you pray with? It doesn't work. If you pray with somebody, you're going to get along with that person. It's just the Holy Spirit working inside of you. And it's incredible to me how different we can be from someone and still have that common bond that brings us together. Age, gender, race, socioeconomic status, our tastes and our interests. None of it matters when you both have the Holy Spirit. Okay? I'm a New York Giants fan. One of my best friends is a Dallas Cowboys fan. Before I was saved, I wouldn't want to talk to a Cowboys fan. But now we're brothers in Christ, and, and I can pray with him, and I can talk with him. It, it, your, the differences you have with somebody, and that's joking, but the differences you have with somebody don't mean anything when you have the Holy Spirit. When you truly have the Holy Spirit, you have a bond. You are united. The second thing we see here, how the Holy Spirit makes himself known, is the Holy Spirit makes us aware of other people's struggles. Before I was saved, I, I was completely self-absorbed. I was only worried about what was going to make me happy. I was concerned with, well, who can I spend time with that I'm going to have a good time with? I, I was concerned with, well, uh, what bar is going to be the most fun tonight? That was my thought process. It was all about me and my sin. And when you have the Holy Spirit, you should have a sensitivity for the needs of other people. When I study and I write these sermons, I'm never thinking about what am I getting out of it. And I probably should think more about that. But I'm always thinking about you. I really want you to be on fire for the word. I want you to leave here talking about Jesus and talking about the scripture and wanting to go home and study it more. Like That's how I see the Holy Spirit. There's churches that you're going to have 20 people speaking in tongues, in unknown tongues. I would rather you walk out of here speaking in English about Jesus. That's how I see the Holy Spirit. And others. So Peter, Peter and John, uh, they saw this man, and they saw that he was in need. They didn't have to stop. They, they, they could have kept on walking into the temple, but they didn't. They stopped and addressed the man in need. Think about the lost people that see us and hear us calling ourselves Christians. What are they thinking of us? What was that crippled man thinking as all these people were walking into the temple? Like, I see you walking in with your Bibles. You're going in and you're going to worship in there. But is what you're doing in there making a difference for me out here? You call yourselves Christians and I see you going to worship, but I don't see 
you don't see me. What are you doing in there that is helping me out here? Do you care about me? Do you even see me? Peter tells the man to look at him and John. I think he did this to let the man know that, yes, I do see you. We see you. And he recognizes the needs. And I, not only do I see you, but I recognize the need that you have. If you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you, you should see, recognize the needs of others because the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to do it. The third, the Holy Spirit enables us, us to lift others up. The Holy Spirit enables us to lift others up. Notice the gap between verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 says, Then Peter says, Silver and gold I have none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk, or rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. There's this gap. There, 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 there's a pause. He could, have lift, he could have raised his hand, grabbed hold of his hand, and then said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. But he didn't. He had the opportunity after he heard that to stand up on his own. But he didn't. Peter reaches out. Peter put action to his words. Peter and John could have stopped to tell the guy, hey, we don't have any money, but I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go inside here and pray for you. That's what we're going to do. So you, you have that going for you. But that's not what Peter did. He put actions to his words. Look at James chapter 2, verses 15 and 17. 15 through 17. It says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things that are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's great to pray for people. But God expects us to lift them up. God expects us to put our hands on them. God expects us to help, not just with prayer. There's a story about um, an atheist landlord. And uh, one evening, he's sitting down at the table eating his dinner, and he hears his tenant upstairs crying and praying and just shouting out to God, because she's lost her job. She doesn't have money. She's afraid she's going to be evicted. And she doesn't have anything to eat. So he decides, I'm going to show her that there is no God. He goes out the next day when she leaves and buys a bunch of groceries. Lets himself into her apartment and leaves the groceries on the table and waits for her to come home. So she comes home. She sees all these groceries on the table. And she starts praising God. God, you heard my prayers. You answered my prayers. And he starts getting aggravated. He hears her. So he comes upstairs and he says, your God didn't do this. I did this for you. And she said, no, sir, you don't understand. God worked through you for me. Okay. 
God wants to use you to help other people. If he gives you the means to help other people, he expects you to do that. God wants to use us. And the Holy Spirit will speak that to your heart. We can recognize the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the church when we see togetherness and unity. When our eyes are open to the needy around us. How often do you pray that God will will allow you to see people through his eyes? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He allows us to see people through his eyes so we can recognize their needs. And with all that God has blessed us with, we are to lift others up by showing them the love of God. There's one last thing I really want us to see before we close. And I don't want you to miss this. This is because this story, these 10 verses, is the picture of salvation. I want you to think about the story we just read. And then listen to, the, listen to this. When we are lost, we are this broken man, crippled with sin. Our daily care is for worldly things like silver and gold. For those that are saved, at some point, someone recognized your need for a Savior and took the time to share the gospel with you. Once the Holy Spirit got a hold of you, you couldn't keep it to yourself. You needed to run around telling everyone what God had done for you in your life. And someday, you and I are going to pass through heaven's beautiful gate, and we're going to be praising God for eternity. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for paying our sin debt so that one day we can join you in heaven where we can just praise you for eternity all the rest of the days. Lord, we're just so grateful for everything you've done in our life. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful for you teaching us how to apply your word. Lord, we're grateful for the Holy Spirit. I just pray that you would soften our hearts even more to the point where we just let the Holy Spirit have his way with us. Lord, we're grateful for all that you've given us in life and we just pray that you will Help us to give back to those that that, that don't know you. Allow us to show your love to them and help lead them out of the darkness and into your light. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.